This is where they are building the largest nuclear fusion reactor in the world. Yeah, a friend of mine told me I had to check out this pool. America on Main Street and at the dinner table is talking about infrastructure when 20 years ago they didn't even know what that meant. Today, those towers are an astounding display of wealth, prestige, and engineering. First. It's impacting everyday Americans. I am against the train. The way it's being done right now. New York City housing is a scam. It is a scam, 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 scam. The Shard in central London is being officially opened today and at 310 metres tall, it's Europe's newest and tallest skyscraper. Hello, I'm Fred Mills. And this is the world's best construction podcast by the B1M. Welcome aboard a very special railway-themed edition of the World's Best Construction Podcast by the B1M. I'm Fred Mills, the founder, voice and face of the B1M, and today I'm joined, as ever, by two awesome people. Uh, from just the other side of London from me, uh, Luke Bly, one of our creative producers in charge of podcasting, and all the way from Sydney, Australia, Liam Marsh, our head of content partnerships. Once again, it's been a busy week. What have you been up to, Luke? How's things going? It's been all right, mate. It's been all right. Enjoying the weather. I had a cheeky beach day with the family from Birmingham. They came down and chilled out. It was really nice, mate. It was really, really nice. Had some Italian food, watched stuff, turned up late to things. It was great. It was great. (laughs) Who don't love that? Who don't love that? But I'm I'm looking forward to this week's episode, mate. It's going to be controversial. I can't wait for Liam to drop some controversial thoughts. (laughs) Um, How are you, Liam, mate? You all right? Hello, mate. Yes, I'm. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Had a good week. It's, uh, it feels like it's barbecue season over here at the moment. It's it's the middle of the winter and it's 22 degrees each day. So um, I just what? spent myself. Yeah, <laughs> I just spent my, my weekend lounging around. I went to about three different barbecues. Um, yeah, so life's good, mate. Do you call those? They're called barbecues in Australia, right? They're not called yeah, like just a, a different a barbie. Uh, Gonna have South barbie. Africans call them brais, don't they? Yeah, and they a bri is. It's a barbecue, right? Yeah. It's very yeah, similar. basically. Maybe, maybe with more of, steak. Uh, that bit at the maybe, start of yeah. Dumb and Dumber, where he's like, where are you from? <laughs> she says, Aust- <laughs> Austria. <laughs> Austria. <laughs> Good eye, mate. <laughs> I love that I love film. It. My wife will not watch that film with me because she says it's not funny. It is funny. It's hilarious. No. Yeah, no. My girlfriend's the same. Does not well, find it wrong. funny. They're wrong. It's great. It's, a, it's an iconic film. That's a classic, when we man. meet up, when when Liam's over in London, we'll go to the pub together and we can just quote Dumb and Dumber to each other for a few hours. It'll be amazing. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so in for that. that like, <laughs> <laughs> Don't you go dying on me. <laughs> <laughs> so how, was, uh, how have you been, Fred? You've been over in uh, Frankfurt, haven't you? I have. Yeah, mate. It's it been hot, is what I would probably say <laughs> from the Frankfurt trip. Um, not not a lot of lounging going on in my life. It has been, it's just so hot. Everywhere I go, I've been hot for weeks. London is boiling. The UK is like a light. <laughs> and we've got. <laughs> That's the full extent of my German, mate. Um, we got over to Frankfurt and it was one of the, because there's so much happening at the minute, it, which would all come into fruition in the next few weeks you're going to see all the cool stuff i've been working on um but the frankfurt trip kind of crept up and i was like right throw some stuff in a suitcase grab some kit off we go got there 
and the next day was 38 degrees on this construction site in full PPE. I was wearing skinny jeans. I had a hat on. I had gloves on. It was absolute madness. I've never been so hot in my life. Um, wow. Wow. Because wow. it was a concrete core, right? And it's just radiating heat out of it. <laughs> it was unreal. Um, to the point where actually we stopped the shoot short uh, halfway through the day. And some shots we started to do and then abandoned them because of the heat radiating, radiating off the floor it was just too much. It was crazy. Um, health and safety comes first always in our shoots. And that was one of those where kind of an unexpected thing the heat just became too much so yeah yeah that's crazy i, I think there's a, a thing in australia where if it gets over 37.5 degrees you basically down tools and go home i'm surprised mm. it's not a, a thing in europe i've heard of some that's construction sites hot. in some countries that have a maximum working temperature but they rig the temperature gauge on the site wall so that it's <laughs> always it's always like <laughs> stuck at 49 <laughs> even though it's like 56 yeah pretty crazy stuff also one of the scariest parts of that trip was me bringing up the lioness's win in a hot canteen full of german builders <laughs> did not go down well they were like oh yes but you had the penalty allowed and all this you know all this rubbish and you were at wembley of course you were going to win and yeah a load of excuses basically yeah yeah i'm not having it not having it mate so anyway Lionesses, they brought it home, mate. So we're still and, on and, it. And we're still on it two weeks later. We're gonna, it, keep, we're gonna keep mentioning it. So That's you never it. forget our win. <laughs> and 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 Fred was on top of a skyscraper. So at least you got a good breeze. So Yeah. There wasn't there wasn't yeah. a lot of breeze, mate. Flags were stationary right. in buildings, which was like, <laughs> oh, oh no. <laughs> um, big shout out to Aaron, my mate uh, on our uh, one of our senior video editors who did an incredible job of putting up with me, taking pictures of me, filming me carrying some of the kit the guy's a legend so thanks we had a, we had a cold beer back in the aircon in the hotel which was lovely <laughs> mm-hmm. Ooh, also this sounds- week we have announced we we told the world that this podcast actually existed so we've actually got people listening now which is quite a big deal the stats have exploded the reaction's been fantastic we've had some lovely lovely messages coming in from all walks of life which is which is really nice um and yeah and i think it's worth saying that the the existing construction podcast community has taken our podcast and particularly the name of it in very good spirits so uh thanks guys thanks for welcoming us to the to the scene how have you guys found the uh, your newfound fame it's been beautiful mate it's been beautiful um getting into the construction world <laughs> people <laughs> can now judge my lack of knowledge on things and <laughs> i'm listening back to a few of the episodes and i'm like man i sound like such a rookie man <laughs> i sound like such a moron <laughs> like but but again, that's, that's the, the whole fun point of it. it. That's, that's the, the whole, whole point, point of, it. of it. Yeah, to make yeah. Fred look good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Liam. Yeah, we're on the same page, aren't we, mate? We're, we're having an accessible page. conversation as if we were talking to real people, making construction accessible for once. This is what this is what so much of the industry don't do. And it's funny we've had we've had some emails come in that are like, oh, we could send our chief executive to talk about the latest industry trends in their sector that they're seeing emerge. And it's like, no. No, you don't quite get this, do you? <laughs> That's yeah. a recipe for boredom. Yeah, definitely. I, I haven't seen um, my inbox fill up so fast with um, requests for free branding before. <laughs> I've got so many emails, people hitting me up on LinkedIn saying, oh, great, can we um, have this person on the show? Can we do this? Can we sponsor it? Um, sponsor, I say that very loosely. I, I don't think there's any budget attached to it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We're, well, we're, we're, we're with Bluebeam. 
They love that little yeah. library that we did. So. Buzz Lightyear <laughs> themed. <laughs> well, if uh, if people want to support us in a free way, then just leave us a review. Leave us a good review. Five stars on Spotify. Five stars on Apple Podcasts <laughs> with a comment. Maybe a winky face, and we might read it out if it's good enough. If if the review is funny, or you have a good username, we might read it out. So if you could do that, that'd be grand. Definitely. If you leave a bad review, we will find you. <laughs> Liam will find you. <laughs> <laughs> so come this week, guys. We've got a lovely little show for you. Pretty big show for you, to be honest. Uh, a little video, a little 34-minute documentary we've been producing for four months just dropped on the B1M called The £100 Billion Railway Dividing a Nation, all about HS2. We've also got a new 28-story tower on Billionaire's Row. Funny comment of the week and some of your emails. Let's do this! So, main story this week, guys. A new 34-minute documentary that came out on the B1M yesterday all about one of the world's biggest infrastructure projects, High Speed 2, called The $100 Billion Railway Dividing a Nation. I'm, I'm very relieved to see this go out the door because I have been working for months on this. I've immersed myself in HS2. The team have done a fantastic job of putting it together. It's an epic, epic story. What did you guys, uh, what did you guys make of it? Mate, I think it's YouTube gold. <laughs> Honestly, hats off to the, to the B1M content producers, the video editors and everyone involved. Um, I know you played a big part in it, Fred, for, for nailing such a really clear and concise explanation about HS2 um, and, and presenting it in a, in a non-biased way. I think um, all I heard when I was in the UK was HS2 is over budget um, and no one is actually putting into any detail, you know, explaining um, why it's over budget or anything really about the project's pros and cons, right? It's just the, the media seemed to put a very big negative spotlight um, on it being over budget and just people protest- protesting against it. Um, so nothing on the you know economic growth, uh, the construction aspects, the new jobs, um, you know the, the sides of it like low carbon travel. Um, so it's really great to see a balance on it. And in saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, after seeing all the facts, I'm really not sure which way I'm swaying, if I'm in favor for it now or if I am against it, which I think is a perfect formula for a great documentary, right? Hmm. I feel like we're too far into it now. Mm. Like we're too far in. Like, mate, they're building the station for it. <laughs> you yeah. know, people are like, I don't know if I'm for it or against. Like, it's going to happen. Like they're building viaducts for it, they're building bridges for it, tunnels for it. You know, I feel, I feel like we're we're just too far into the into the project to to cancel it or think about looking at other options. I mean, I mean, there is always Hyperloop. But <laughs> <laughs> there is off the shelf idea, it's ready to go, shovel yeah. ready. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, might the, save the us public. A bit love money. that too. Yeah. It's worth saying. I don't know, the, mate. The, the conflict side, so the fact you guys both feel conflicted and you don't know which side to pick, that's a big-headed comment here. That's the sign of a good bit of journalism, a good balanced story. If you can't decide where you sit or how you feel about it, that's where the best mm. stories are, in my view. Yeah, it's... Um, this, I can see, like, joking aside, I can see how it divides people. I can see that there's an environmental impact. I can see that this might even divide some communities 
um, places and you know natural areas of outstanding natural beauty even and they're trying to accommodate that they're trying their best to work around that i think the thing that really shocked me was the cost but i understand that is it even a european project if it goes if it's like under the projected cost no like it's always going to be over right it's always going to be over but it's over by a lot um yeah but there's yeah. been a lot of changes since then. Like this has been in the pipeline since like what two? What is it like two thousand nine? This was proposed. Yeah, I think it might be helpful for us to take people through it from the top. So if you're not aware of HS2, or if you've had the kind of the uh, the Daily Mail version of HS2, which is kind of the, the bad <laughs> bits and then the headlines, um, then we'll we'll take you through. I think the the story. It's worth saying that the reason we've gone and done this in such a a big kind of uh, longer form production for us at least is because this story, there is so much to it. And one of our biggest challenges as a team at the beginning was that there are so many different elements and ingredients and nuances to it, and they all interrelate. So how the heck do you tell a story in a coherent, chronological way that kind of explains what the, <laughs> what the hell's going on? Um, so that was one of our big challenges at the beginning. And I think you mm. probably see when you watch the video, we've split it into the kind of a three-act structure. So there's the dream... The idea of HS2. What is this? What was this supposed to be about? What's the objective here? Why are we doing this? Um, what's it meant to build? So, what went wrong? What were the challenges? Why are we finding it so difficult? What's happened? And then this kind of third absolution of the story, which is: Is it worth it? Are we baked in? Should we really be doing this? And I think framing the whole thing around: It's not just a UK issue. Infrastructure projects worldwide do this it's public money mm-hmm. it's going to make a big difference to millions of people's lives but at huge financial environmental and social costs for this generation in order to help future generations and how you feel about that is kind of up for grabs oh what an introduction <laughs> <laughs> was that one of the lines from the video or something friend is no, that wait, I, 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 so that I haven't been. I've, I'm so I'm so immersed in this blimmin' project now that yeah. I've kind of just like I spent so much time reflecting and overthinking and sitting up in the middle of the night and uh, yeah, trying to trying to make sure I get it right for the world. Um, yeah, that's where we are. I mentioned something <laughs> at the top of the pe- podcast about my family coming down to visit from Birmingham, and it was great timing because we actually mentioned I mentioned that this was this week's topic on the podcast, and there's a B1M video about it. HS2, Birmingham to London in 45 minutes, yeah? That, I feel like there's a lot of people that do not understand how much of a game changer that is. That is the difference between being able to commute to somewhere and not. For, for, for clarity, if you live in parts of South London, East London or North London, it might take you longer to get into Central London than it would if you have a flat in Birmingham city centre, walk over to Curzon Street and get the HS2 down to London. Yeah. Like that is mental. That is yeah. absolutely mental. And that is bridging a huge wealth gap between the south of the UK and the north of the UK, which yeah. has been there for a long, long time. A long, long time. Yes, this and, kind of this nice. This nicely kicks us off because this is this hmm. is the reason why it's happening. So, for anyone that's not aware of this, the UK is building a new high-speed railway from London 
up to the north of the country where some of the kind of other major cities of the UK are based. Now, the UK, as, as Luke's alluded to, is a pretty divided country right now. I think that's the same with many nations. A lot of the big cities, a lot of the big urban areas are yeah. really pulling ahead of rural areas. The industrial heartlands are being left behind. This is a familiar theme. Um, there are big social and economic differences now between London and the rest of this country. That is an undeniable fact. Um, it's not as bad as some other countries, but it's something that the UK want to address. As far back as 2009, the Labour government first put forward an idea for a high-speed railway to the north in order to spread wealth up the country. Um, and that's really what high-speed rail does. So it brings cities and population centres closer together by reducing the journey time between them in the way you were describing, Luke. Um businesses can access bigger customer bases they can get at their hands and access to a bigger supply chain they can hire they've got a bigger labor pool bigger pool of talent to recruit people from your commute gets transformed as you said luke if you if you want to work in london you haven't got to buy mm-hmm. a ridiculously expensive house in clapham or fulham or <laughs> wherever it may be <laughs> you can uh, you can live in birmingham and catch the train and commute or live in a live in a cheap part of the country and commute in and that's huge because it takes pressure off the housing crisis in major cities. So there we go. High-speed rail is a big deal. It's also more sustainable. So again, we're going to come back to this because I know there is a lot of anger around the environmental impact of HS2. But taking a high-speed train somewhere is generally more sustainable than driving up motorway uh, or catching a short-haul flight. Short-haul flights are like the worst thing you can do for the environment. Um Shout out to British Airways, who I saw doing a flight from Gatwick to Manchester the other week. When I was in Gatwick, there was this <laughs> flight departing from Manchester. Um, you can also do yeah. LA. You can do LA to San Diego, which is like forty minutes. I mean, for yep. goodness' sake, guys! Build but a that's train. like L- London to Amsterdam, mate. London to Amsterdam, London to Paris. They're they're not like that far, are they? Oh, right. London and Amsterdam. You you what you as soon as you get in the air, you stand up yeah. and go to the bathroom. You you landed right. I couldn't believe yeah. it. It's like forty it's minutes. It was a rough flight as well because it's so because it stays so low. Mm-hmm. It's always a bumpy flight. Oh, uh, yeah. Sorry that that rant was brought to you by the man that's, who's just on a short haul flight to Frankfurt. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I, <laughs> hello. That, that's, <laughs> that's interesting though. But like, you I don't know. I, it's, just the cost aspect of when it's finally up and running trains in the UK are expensive, man. Like they're so pricey trains to Edinburgh. I've been up to Edinburgh a couple of times. I remember the last time it cost me like 350 pounds return or something like that. We booked um, pre-booked seats, couldn't get to them due to overcrowding. When we came back on the Sunday, I I had to give my seat up to a, to a pregnant lady that was literally standing in the middle of the aisle. And I had to stand for three and a half hours all the way back to London. I had to um, give my seats up. You, well, you know. <laughs> not not I chose to. gentleman, mate. Not I wanted to. <laughs> what choice not of words? Obviously, I'm going to do I should. <laughs> I had to give my seats up to this <laughs> pregnant woman. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but just looking at so sorry, going back to the cost, like you can get. I just I just uh, did a Google on catching the train from London to London to Edinburgh. So if you left this Friday and came back on Sunday, it cost you two hundred and eighty-seven pounds. It'd take you four hours and twenty minutes, right? Oof. I mean, getting a flight, it's one hundred and thirty pounds, and it's a hundred. It's a it's a one hour twenty flight. Yeah. It's a, big difference in cost and time to get the flight right so if they're spending this much on hs2 
they've obviously got to pay it back. Um, how much are they going to charge for tickets? I, paying back the railway is not entirely driven by the cost of tickets. Yes, it is yeah. part of the formula, but there is a there's a bigger economic calculation of like if we spend a hundred or whatever it is hundred billion on <laughs> on building a railway now, it will add X billion or trillion to the UK economy. Yeah. By the time 2050 yeah. comes around. So there is a, it's not all paid, but none of it's quick, <laughs> but it's not all paid back by fares. It's not going to be a hundred billion to go to Birmingham. And, and train ticket prices are something that change over time anyway. Even if you, even if let's assume you have a conservative government in power, but also they can change even more so if there's a different government in power, right? Train ticket prices are almost like, a footnote in in the you know grand scheme of things. Like I hope it's not too expensive because I've been doing the same. I'm trying to go to Manchester. Um, I think in like early October. I'm look, I'm trying to get tickets at the moment, and it's so painful trying to get tickets. I'm just trying mm. to go see a football match up in Manchester, and I'm like unable to do it, or it's costing me like three hundred quid. And yeah. I'm thinking, mate, what? <laughs> Who's yeah. coming up with these prices, man? Like it's <laughs> at the point where I think I'm gonna have to drive there yeah, and i don't hire a car to manchester yeah if you, yeah, if you I don't want to. yeah i was gonna say if you um like hiring a car 25 pounds a day i mean i've got a car mate you, it's all good oh, but like <laughs> <laughs> i wasn't sure if, i wasn't sure if you could drive luke to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> what on account of it being a simpleton or something like oh no you can't no, each to their own, yeah. Like, but no, listen, I, I just think um, something like this, though, one thing I do know is that if we've got um, the West Coast um, line running, if we have those lines still running, which they will, they will still be, they be there, there will still be companies operating on those lines, and we have HS2 running at the same time, you suddenly don't have a monopoly. Like tr- the train systems are in a really, really, really odd situation where they're not nationalized, but they're not they're not quite capitalist. Like it's not free market, it's not open market because you can't just go up and build a train line. There's no competition, right? So we're we're in kind of a predicament there. But if you do have HS two, you suddenly have another option, and it's another option that is extremely quick. And we're assuming right now it's efficient. We're assuming now I can get to London to Birmingham in forty-five minutes. Again, for 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 millions of people, we're talking about the largest city in Europe, and then you've got Birmingham, one of the largest cities in the UK, and then eventually Manchester. That's 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 a game changer, right? It is. So, but but the UK mm, doesn't really do high-speed rail because all of our cities are generally much closer together than they are in other countries. So in places uh, like China, which is, is not a, it's not a very good comparison. China because it's a completely different um, system of of governments. But in France, Spain, other areas of Europe, cities are further apart, so there is a, a very strong business case for building high speed rail. There isn't as much of one in the UK because our trains generally run a bit faster anyway, and you can get somewhere in this country within a day somewhere else. And that's not that's not the case in some other massive countries around the world. Okay. We've only got one high-speed rail line. So we built uh, HS1, which went from London to the Channel Tunnel. So for anyone that doesn't know, if you're listening to another part of the world, there is a tunnel that goes from the UK under the English Channel, under the sea, and connects onto the the high-speed rail network in Europe. So we built that. 
that wasn't a roaring success for the UK. So it was kicked around since the 80s. Um, we, we split into two sections in the end. We built section one from the Channel Tile to Kent, which opened in 2003. And then section two of it into London opened opened in 2007. So we haven't had high-speed rail, high rail in this country for very long. And we haven't got a hugely fantastic track record of building it, which is interesting because the uk is the home of the railways this is where the railways were born we've got a huge heritage uh and history with the railways um that hasn't completely come forward into the 21st century <laughs> it's fair to say mm. um so anyway from the people that bought you uh the over budget and late but fantastic elizabeth line wembley, St- <laughs> wembley stadium and others from the country that brought you that we're now bringing your hs to um <laughs> Not entirely fair to rat on UK infrastructure because we have done some fantastic on-budget probably uh, on-budget projects, including the London Olympic Park and uh, Terminal Five Heathrow Terminal Five. So oh. it's not it is not true or fair to say that every UK infrastructure project goes wrong. It's just when some of them do, they tend to go wrong pretty big. Who do you blame for this going so wrong, Fred? Well, we're going to come to that, Liam. You're skipping ahead, mate. We need to go through. We need to go through some context. I'll give you time to think about no. it. No, we're so on I the answer now. Look, 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 we want the, it now. The context. The, the context matters. Okay, it's important because I think before you get into what's gone wrong and who's it, whose fault is it, you need to understand where it's come from, honestly. So. As I said, 2009, a long time ago now, HS2 was pitched by the Labour government under Gordon Brown. The Conservatives then said, that's a good idea, and they picked it up and stuck it in their manifesto. Worth saying, most politicians in the UK believe that the principle of a high-speed railway from London up to the north is a good idea. Even the Green Party now have a Greens for HS2 movement because they see it as a more sustainable form of travel over driving and planes. So, in principle politicians supported this back in the day 2012 it was officially backed by david cameron's conservative government a lot of time and review went by between 2012 and 2017 and then theresa may uh got a huge majority in one of her only huge majorities in parliament um passed the bill for hs2 phase one by a big majority um which so basically parliament approved hs2 phase one 2017 Boris Johnson then became Prime Minister in 2019. The man with a big eye for big infrastructure projects likes backing big infrastructure to you know, change countries and get things done. He commissioned the OKV review, which was then published in early 2020. And then in early 2020, before the pandemic kicked off, Boris Johnson came into a then-packed, face-maskless-less uh, House of Commons and said, we're back in this, we're going ahead. The Cabinet's approved it. He signed the final notice to proceed and spades went into the ground. Construction began. Now, it's split into three phases. So we're not just building one line. We are building phase one, which is 140 miles from London to Birmingham. There's then phase 2A, which extends it to a place called Crewe. And then phase 2B, which is kind of in two spurs, which goes on to Manchester and the East Midlands airports. So... Mm. That's the plan. Phase one has been through Parliament approved. Phase two A has been through Parliament approved. Phase two B, I think, is on its second reading now. It got big majorities on its first couple of uh, passes of Parliament, so it's it's happening. That it's not what it was promised to be. So we'll, we'll come back to that in a little while. Um, 
aside from all the controversy, you guys probably seen from the video, this is an enormous feat of engineering. It's an epic feat of engineering. Mm. Basically, to get these trains to run at 225 miles an hour, they need a line that's as straight and flat as possible. But drawing a straight, flat line up this country is not straightforward. So there's a lot of cuttings, a lot of tunnels, a lot of bridges and viaducts to try and keep it as straight and flat all the way. Um, these people are building 16-kilometer tunnels under ancient woodland under farms there um building bridges over you know, viaducts over um waterways and rivers i got to go inside one of the tunnels one of the 1.6 kilometers uh, tunnels which was epic hot one of the hottest places i've ever been again fitting with my summer of just being hot the whole bloody time <laughs> <laughs> that tunnel was pretty cool so yeah it's a it's an epic feat of engineering and mm. there is a there was at the beginning quite a strong business case for it as we've been alluding to, it's been—it's not exactly gone to plan. It's been a bit controversial. Um, and all the controversy kind of boils down to four areas. So there's the choice of route, because that basically has required some compulsory land purchases. It's required interrupting some heritage. It's hit archaeology sites. With, they've dug out like thousands of Roman bodies and all sorts of stuff. Um, there have been trees cut down. Environmental impact is the second big area. So trees, habitats being destroyed, ancient woodland being um, impacted. The UK's got 300,000 hectares of ancient woodland. That's trees mm. that have been around since 1600. Um, there's been cuts to the route. So the government that said they wanted to level up the north of the UK with London and the southeast cut this railway going to Leeds and scaled it back to East Midlands Airport, which... Whatever your political uh, view or position, I think, is pretty shocking. And last but not least, the biggest area of all is the enormous cost. So in 2012, this railway was £32.7 billion. That's $40 billion, US dollars. Uh, the OKV review said it could go as high as £106 billion, which is $127 billion. For balance, uh, <laughs> which I know is uh, <laughs> Lou's favourite phrase, HS2 are now saying the cost will be around $73 billion, but government documents vary. So basically, we say in the video, it's somewhere between 72 and £98 billion, pounds, which is a long way north of that original estimate. What do you guys make of all but, this? I mean, that original estimate was in 2009, do you know what I mean? If you were to look at house prices down your street in 2009, you know, they ain't what they are now. They are, it is a lot higher. Things have got more expensive. They got way more expensive. You're not I mean, telling me, you cannot tell me that 32 billion to 106 billion is inflation over 10 years. Listen, listen, no, I ain't. <laughs> there, is some dodgy, there is some dodgy accountancy going on there right there is someone has made has 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 mucked up right someone has mucked up <laughs> i think they probably have um underestimated certain costs i think in the video you guys mentioned that they underestimate things like the environmental um pledges that they eventually made like planting and looking after trees and land that is expensive mm -hmm. that's very expensive they initially probably thought do you know what yeah, we'll just like knock all this down and think about it later. Like, right, let's crack on, you know? And suddenly, oh no, that's a few more billion on that. That all adds up. When you're doing that across a country, that all adds up very quickly. You know, I think you'd almost be foolish in thinking this wouldn't 
drastically go up in price over time, especially if it's a long-form project. But it's easy to talk about the costs now. And I understand it is a lot of money. It is, it is a lot of money. And a lot of people probably will, will understandably have strong feelings about this. But the idea of the train is that it's not just for this generation. It's for future generations, right? And when you when you level up, when you do the proper accountancy, you're not doing it per head in the United Kingdom right now. It should be per head, per generation, this will be used by, right? When you when you calculate it like that, it is suddenly a lot cheaper. And when you take into consideration inflation for future generations, right, that hundred billion or whatever it is going to be, you know, that you build it now, or if you build it 50 years down the line, that's where, you know, this might be impossible. Right, it's so that's that's, that's just that's the story of infrastructure. That's the story of infrastructure projects, Luke. You've hit the nail on the head, and we and we say yeah. this in a very kind of reflective bit at the end of the video, where you know they these projects are in a different league to private projects because they're publicly funded. They're in a different budget galaxy. You know, Google, Facebook, the biggest spenders on buildings in the private sector only go to a couple of billion max. I think the Bloomberg headquarters in London was like a billion quid, you know. It goes into tens of billions when you get into governments. And yes, the the scale, the money, the ambition is daunting. But that was the same with the Golden Gate Bridge. It was the same go. with the M25. It was the same when we first started building the railways. It was the same when we first built freeways, the you know, the highway interstate system in the US. It it's horrific for that current generation, to be quite honest. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of pain. It's a lot of time and a lot of bad negative press. But the impact transcends the decades. Yeah. And the money, again, without trying to get too deep into this, the money arguably is there, right? The money is there. You know, this is like, don't get it twisted. There's still the fifth largest economy on the planet, Right. There is a lot of money that goes in and out of this small island. And I think if, you know, you're not investing, because that's what it is. An investment isn't just like, right, I'm going to put the money in now and I'm going to reap all the benefits like in a week's time. That's not investing. You know, investing is long-term strategy. And for all my life, for all my life, there has been this, and for, for many generations before us, there's always been this conversation between london getting so many projects you know london getting a new underground line which it has and yet in the north you know they they get their tram systems and stuff which actually in places like manchester works pretty well but it's not the same infrastructure investment you know it's just it's not quite the same something like this could change that in mm. fact i think it's one of the only options You've this, got. Is, this is bold in a way because it's it's natural. It's easy to approve big infrastructure schemes for your big economic centre, for your major capital city where all the investment is, where all the... It's easy to say, yes, Crossrail, the Elizabeth line is going to boost the economy by X. Done. It's actually bolder and more ambitious to go, we're going to connect an area of the country that's falling behind and see what that does. So I think I think the don't get me wrong the principles of this I think I, I do personally agree with I think it's fantastic I think the way it's been managed and communicated hasn't been great and that's that shouldn't no. detract that shouldn't detract from the amazing people who are going to work every day 
to build this railway. They are doing a remarkable job building some incredible feats of engineering. But, you know, it, it's a lot more than what we were told it was going to be. And at the minute, it's not going as far as they told us it was going to go either. And there is a very real debate yeah. around, is it, is it worth it? Yeah, we're getting shortchanged, aren't we, really? But it's so difficult man and this this video <laughs> only this video only made me more like conf- not confused but maybe in in parts like conflicted about it you know because yeah. i und- i understand there's a lot more cost than i actually thought you know you, this this video brought a lot of information to the table that i just don't think is accessible to a lot of people you you mentioned earlier like a few newspapers yeah they mm. got their own opinions <laughs> and their own narratives they want to drive yeah and so you're not getting the full facts. I feel mm. like this video at least gives you that. It's done a better job than the UK government at communicating what HS2 is, how much it's going to cost, where it's going, than, yeah, like uh, the government. I'm really yeah, pleased to see you play that because that's one of our big ambitions with this at the beginning was no one's, no one's told the whole story. No one's laid it out as the facts, as this is what it is. This is what people think about it. This was the history. No one's done that. So I hope, I hope... At least this project's, you know, this video project that we've done helps better inform people about some of the massive projects being built with their money. Yeah, I think it definitely does that. As I was sort of saying at the start, and touching on what you're saying now, Luke, it's the whole scope of the project and all the aspects, telling it from a from a neutral side. I think the information. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's like articles. There's probably some other videos on YouTube and things like that, but no one or the platform the size of the B1M has actually put the time and effort into it. I think um, I think it's going to be really well received within the local communities as well because I think it's really interesting how you've actually, that we're saying about the prices and listed out how much they went up, the phases, and just how it's jumping, you know, 55 billion to 88 billion and then 88 to whatever, 98 billion, 106 billion. I'm quite interested to see, you know, the last update was in 2020. Is there going to be an update in 2022 with another oh. scope on how much it's going to cost? I mean, just being <laughs> being fair to HSC, because I know that they're not they're not in the room that we, we put their we put their responses in the video. So they said to us that the original cost in 2012 was basically based on a simple formula and 2011 rates. So somebody drew a line from London to Birmingham and went, "It'll be X amount per square mile. That's it." It was then kind of kicked around, and as it became a bigger idea and moved up the government agenda, people started looking at it in more detail. And then, so you could argue that the thirty-two to fifty-five billion was just kind of it was exploratory. We were kicking around some budgets of what it could be. But in twenty seventeen, the UK Parliament backed a bill that said fifty-five point seven billion. That is what they committed to building this railway for. It then turned out that it's gone up to eighty-eight, and then one hundred and six. And it's now somewhere, you know, in the in the high in the high seventies or nineties, eighties, nineties. It's it's a lot of money, and that's because there was, you know, we reveal in the video that the 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 then HS two chairman said there were no ground surveys done. The route turned out to be more complicated than they thought it was <sighs> going to be. Buying oh, people's painful. houses was more expensive, and it's like, hey, you didn't you didn't go and look at the job before you priced it, basically. <laughs> oh wow. But do you think, okay, this is a bit, this is like the skeptic in me. Do you not think that was done on purpose? Do you not think what, like to, they to were win like, the right, contract? Let's, 
yeah, to let's lowball it. Let's see. Let's make it seem as affordable as possible. Mm. Yeah. Historically, you know, I'm not pointing fingers here, but that's what governments do. Yeah, that's just what they <laughs> I do. Just wanna, and they're I not, just want to you know, quickly throw in there is no evidence for that. Just uh, no, no, on, there's not. I just want to throw in that. <laughs> there's not. There's Definitely not. Pointing, I'm just to- pointing fingers. <laughs> 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 but I mean, I'm just talking. I love history. I love history. But just look at history, man. Like governments do this all the time. They like make things seem accessible, and then they're like, "Yeah, let's commit to it. Get everyone behind it." And then suddenly, oh, they, we weren't expecting this. Oh, what you didn't do a survey? You're building the biggest infrastructure project in the UK, and you didn't have someone just walk the route and go, "Oh, yeah, there's some walk the houses route. in the way." There's a bag with some sandwiches. Go 140 miles. Come back by lunchtime. What yeah. you got? You'd you'd be all right with that, Fred, wouldn't you, mate? You <laughs> take your, like, what is it like Snickers or something in your backpack or what is it? It's Liam, Twix. Twix, mate. It's Twix. Ah. I'm very partial sorry. to a Twix. So, sorry, just it's going back on the costs. So, obviously, construction projects typically never run to the quoted amount, right? But how much do they typically run over by? Obviously, you know, the amount in, in uh, HS2 is like extreme, but it's it's never on. The, is it ever on this sort of scale? I think it, just to draw a distinction, not every construction project goes up a budget. There's a lot of good teams around the world doing oh, some good jobs. Know what I mean. <laughs> but many, many infrastructure projects do go up a budget. So. <laughs> And I feel like saying, like, if you're planning an infrastructure project now and you reckon it's going to be 10 billion and it'll be done by 2030, just just do do yourself a favor, double it to 20 billion, and make it 2040. You know, you then you'll then you'll deliver. It's like it's like when you say to the missus, "I'm going out. I'll be home about midnight." And then when you come back at 11, she's like, "Oh, that's such a nice thing. Such a nice Genius. thing that has Genius. never happened. Yeah. <laughs> Under promise." <laughs> Under promise and over deliver. Yeah, it's wow. true. <laughs> wow, the trade, eh, Fred? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hi, I've now, hi, I've now revealed it. Yeah. <laughs> I've now revealed it. Damn. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I mean, HS two are trying their hardest, right? These guys, and like you said, Fred, this seems like maybe to in in some ways it seems a bit like a thankless job, like. They're, they're recognizing, yeah, we're going to have to effectively just destroy this wildlife, going to have to take down all these trees. But they're also planting 7 million bushes and trees. And yep. they're going to, like we, what we said earlier, they're going to maintain them. They're not just planting them and like, that's it, right? We're heading off. They are trying to compensate for this. And it's really interesting, actually. You said like even the Green Party have kind of done, um, they're, they're supporting this now. You know, because... I think really, if if you look at if you try to look at this, you know, I, uh, with the other options, flying the current train system we have and the current tracks we have, a lot of which are Victorian, yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they're not modern, they're Victorian, um, and cars, like what what you you, you haven't got loads of options. You haven't got loads of options. And yes, this is going to cost a lot of money. But in some places, you know, they probably aren't doing consultations like HS2 are doing. You know, they're probably not planting loads of trees. 
you know that's that's why this is that's what that's exactly luke that's one of the factors why this is the world's most expensive high-speed railway because we're doing things here that other countries aren't doing we we are being quite careful and considerate believe it or not um Mm. i know there are some people listening to this who will uh, vehemently disagree with what i've just said but sure we're doing it more considerately than other countries and that's that does kick the money up um worth saying guys it's not just the money it's the timeline as well so phase one's been pushed back from completing in 2026 to 2029 and the whole route was going to be 2033 they've now given a later state of 2041 um I'll be an old man when that opens. <laughs> that is depressing, isn't it? That is depressing. Yeah. With um just the reference in the in the video about, you know, other high speed rail projects in the West that that haven't gone to plan. You've got uh California, you've got Stuttgart, um, HS2 in in the UK. And then you've got China that owns two thirds of the world's high speed rail networks. Right, and they've built that. I think they've built that since two thousand eight, or something yeah. crazy like that. So why wh- why don't you think the West is successful building building high speed rail? That's that's a huge question, which needs its own <laughs> long form documentary. But basically, there are <laughs> <laughs> there are different political systems in those areas. The reason we do not draw a comparison in the video between the West and China is because. That's a whole other. That's a whole other cul-de-sac <laughs> to yeah. go down. Yeah. Um, they're not. They, yeah, they build things in a different way. Mm. Sorry, interesting way. stat just on just on pricing. So obviously politics side and everything um, along with that. So costing um, to build railway, right? So in the EU, it's something like twenty-five million dollars per kilometer. In the US, it's fifty-six million dollars per kilometer. In China, it's it's seventeen million per kilometer, which is mm. well. That's a lot because cheaper. they got more of it, more experienced at it, more of it. Their government has kind of like what Fred was saying. They've you know they've made it a priority, haven't they? And if they got that experience, and if they got that kind of system in place that allows them to to make these kind of huge infrastructure projects, then of course it's going to be cheaper. It's also it's, going to be it's a fundamentally different labour market. So I, I was uh, going to say the way mm-hmm. people the way the people building these railways are treated in California is very different to China. Again, uh, I <laughs> want to go into that in a bigger documentary one day. Um, but yeah, there's that's you're comparing chalk and cheese a bit. They are mm. completely different things. Um, yeah, something something to something to chat about down the road, mm. down the pub. Yeah. Down the pub, we'll, <laughs> we'll catch up on that and plan the next uh, the next big train video. <laughs> Did you know the Burj Khalifa uh, elevators are so fast that you can watch the sunset on the ground, get in one of the elevators, and watch the sunset again from the top of the building? That's cool, isn't it? That's that epic. Is. Yeah, it's almost as cool as Hyperloop. Yeah, nearly, <laughs> nearly got us there. <laughs> What I thought was cool about um, going back to Hyperloop the other day, how we were talking about, you know, um, the salty <laughs> comments and everyone against it, you know, thinking it's a stupid innovation and things like that. The, the snippet in um, this documentary where the man's shouting, you know, um, trains are going to be going 30 miles per hour. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, back then it, it was a huge achievement in technology. I mean, you kind of laugh at it now. It, it kind of remind me 
reminded me of that, you know, the Hyperloop discussion, you know, this new yeah. emerging tech and everyone's just like, that's, that's stupid. You know, what a waste of time. Yeah, yeah, the montage that started that HST video is is a is banging. Some really good archive in there. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's and and in the grand scheme of things, that weren't that long ago. Yeah, that <laughs> video. That's I not know. long ago, is it? That's like mm. one or two generations away, really. You know, mm. it's not it's not that far away, and it goes to show how um, it's easy to be caught up in in just the present. You know, it's important to be in the present, but it's also important to to look beyond what's just in front of you. Mm. And I think that's kind of, you know, the, the the big lesson with all infrastructure projects. You know, Fred mentioned the Golden Gate Bridge earlier. You know, even Eurotunnel, even Eurotunnel. You know, being able to get a train from London to Paris—that's crazy. Like, if you were to tell your grandparents that when they were young. They'd be like, they'd, they'd, they'd think, what? What are you talking about? And like, yet, but and, you, and yet used it exists. To, you used to be able to go from London to New York at Mach 2 on Concord, and now it's a mm. seven, eight-hour flight. So we've gone backwards in some ways, haven't we? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> on that but point, we, we've gone back. <laughs> the, the technology is there, though, right? The technology is there. Like, we can send people to Mars. Yeah, we can, we can, we can do that, but... It's all about money, isn't it? It's all about money, and there's there's also you know, a, a million of other things to bear in mind and that get in the way. But like we we can do that, like as a as a human race, we can do so many things. We can do loads of things, but there are always practicalities that that stand in the way, and sometimes for for good reason, and sometimes not for good reason. No, when we and, tend to send, we can we can put billionaires into space really easily, seemingly. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> solving world solving world hunger has become a bit elusive, isn't it? <laughs> there we go. There we go. Oh, we've crossed into politics. Stay away. Stay away. <laughs> um, now, one one little bit of one little bit of uh, behind the scenes color I want to give you on the HS2 video production. Uh, I'm going to lay out some facts here, some facts of what happens, and then I'm going to give my own personal opinion. But that's a separate thing to the fact. You, you go and you go and use the facts, guys, right, and decide your own view. But I'm going to give my very biased opinion. I want to take you back to the 6th of June, 2022. So in the UK, we just had a four-day knees-up for the Queen's uh, Platinum <laughs> Jubilee. We had four days off, <laughs> Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, and I was coming into London to film at the Euston site. So that, that bit you see at the Euston site and where I interviewed Mark Thurston, who's the CEO of HS2, that all happened on the 6th of June, 22. Now, there was a tube strike that day. So getting from Waterloo across to Euston for me was an absolute killer. It was a nightmare. I think I queued for like 40 minutes for a taxi in the end and then paid through the nose. And I I ditched my taxi in order to walk in the end because it was so bad. Traffic was so bad. While I was doing all that in the morning on my morning commute, this is after the Jubilee, um, it came out on the news that Boris Johnson was going to face a confidence vote that afternoon. So for anyone that's listening in other countries, that means that uh, a certain percentage of his own MPs had submitted letters behind his back saying, we don't think this guy's up to it. We want to have a vote uh, and decide whether or not he should continue as leader. That vote was revealed in the morning and it was scheduled for the evening and Westminster and the British media just went into overdrive and meltdown to talk about what was happening, how many votes he was going to get, what was going on. At the same time, I'm interviewing the uh, CEO of HS2 on the roof about this project and the government's you know policy to it and all the rest of it. Anyway, 
that evening, a very interesting cut emerged to the HS2 project. So there is this bit called the Goulburn Link, which runs, uh, spurs off just before Manchester and goes and connects onto the existing railway south of Wigan. And that then takes trains, high-speed trains up, but on the existing regular speed network, right up the, the kind of the northwest and onto Glasgow, Edinburgh. So it connects into Scotland. The Goulburn Link runs through an MP's constituency, and that MP is Sir Graham Brady, who runs the 1922 Backbench Committee of MPs that was managing the confidence vote in Boris Johnson. He was the guy that read out the result of the confidence vote in Boris Johnson, and 30 minutes before he read out the result, the Goulburn link through his constituency on HS2 was cut. No. I kid you not. Oh my word. What? That's the that's the fact. This could all be a big fat coincidence, but for me, that feels a bit suspect. I have no evidence for that, but <laughs> but, <laughs> but you go, what really? Oh wow! wow. I'm shocked. Wow! Yeah. Wow. yeah. That's we'll leave it mental. There. We'll leave it there for politics. But yeah. So, so for yeah. You guys all right. To go and, uh, go so, and think about. So, so overall, Fred, you know, we've still kind of uh, Liam asked you a question earlier about whose fault <laughs> you think this is, and also I, I want to know. I think I get. I think I know where you are with this, but I want to know, like, if you are f- ultimately for or against a project like this. I'm ultimately for it. Uh, personally, I say that. I say that personally, not as a representative of the B1M or anything else. Um, I genuinely believe that in years to come, we will look back at this as a good decision. It's painful for a minority, but many millions more will benefit, is my view. And whose fault is it? <laughs> I was trying to, do- trying to dodge that. <laughs> tried to leave that bit out, didn't I? Who are, are you pointing the finger at, mate? It's... The context of this is that someone come up with a good idea and put some initial costs to it and then got those costs wrong. I, I think the kind of the the civil servants, the engineering advisors who came up with the idea and the original parameters for this project are, are, are to blame. I think some politicians now feel committed and have just kept going because they don't want to be the ones to cancel it. You know, Boris says in the video, when you're in a hole the size of HS2, the only thing to do is keep digging. And you may not choose to agree with that or not, but you know that's that's <laughs> what he said. I I want to be really clear. I do not think it is the fault of the current fantastic people, communications team, engineering team, uh, the amazing men and women currently building this railway. What they're doing is incredible. They're writing this country's next chapter into its land, and this railway and their work on it will inspire future generations of engineers for decades to come. Oh. Who do you think is to blame? Go on, I want the, the name. The accountants. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the dodgy accountants, mate. The number <laughs> people getting all the numbers wrong. Like, I mean, who doesn't? Like, who doesn't do a survey of the route? You know, who doesn't do that? It, like, the, you learn this in like college or university to do this, right? If you're building a house, yeah, go to the site, 
see, see if there's anything up with it. Like that's standard. Um, I do think there's, but anyway, we, we've we've kind of we've covered that. I'm ultimately, I think this is. I lean toward um, building this. Like they're already building it. Do you know what I mean? It's not like it's you know up for discussion at the moment. No, this is this is being built right now. Um, and I do think just because I go a lot from where I live at the moment in South Essex to Birmingham, sometimes I want to take the train because I'm just sick of the drive. (laughs) That train journey, guys, is so life-changing for millions and millions and millions of people. It could completely change the way business is done in the UK. Completely change. You know, people that live an hour away from london are like oh yeah it's really commutable to go to london not that far away you're going to be in birmingham you're going to be in the west midlands and you can get to london in 45 minutes that is unreal and if i want to go up to manchester to see a football game it'll take a lot less time so it's a given isn't it (laughs) it's a given it's a given (laughs) Uh, i'm I'm curious to see what liam thinks because obviously yeah what's your final verdict liam yeah i'm all for it yeah, I, I I think um like you're saying, I, I love the aspect that you can um live outside of London and commute in. You can you can choose a cheaper area to live. Um, you know, you're not bound by, you know, living within zone one to six kind of thing to, to, to get to work. I find it really interesting what you're saying about commuting um in the UK as well. Like an hour commute to work is nothing, right? Like it's absolutely nothing getting a train mm-hmm. to work. Like Fred, I know sometimes it takes you like two hours to get into the office. Sometimes longer than that, and it's just like you just sort of, you know, it happens so often. You're just like, whatever. Where I'm at over here, where I grew up in New Zealand, where in Australia, it, if I have to commute like 25 minutes, say if I drop my partner off at, at her office and it takes half an hour in the car, I'm hating it. No one likes commuting here. Like a, a long commute here is like 30 minutes. Um. But if you're cutting that down, that hour commute down to 45 minutes, yeah, it's fantastic. I think it, it, connecting millions of people, it's going to help local businesses. It's going to grow the economy. Um, yeah, all for it. Cool. Well, we want to know what you think, guys. So send us your emails, podcast at the B1M.com. I know this is a really, well, it's including the title, the 100 billion pound railway dividing a nation. It divides opinion. Let us know what you think. Should it be built? Shouldn't it be built? How's it been managed? Whose fault is it? Give us names. <laughs> we want to know what you think. Um, yeah, get your emails in and we'll, uh, we'll have a bit of feedback next week. So also in the news this week, guys, we've got a new 118-meter, 28-story apartment tower built, uh, well, sorry, proposed for New York's Billionaires Row. More high-end properties coming into an oversaturated area of Manhattan um, that people, most people probably can't afford. But uh, but there you go. Looks nice on Instagram. We stuck that up. Go and have a look at that. <laughs> what, do you guys, uh, what do you guys think of this? It looks pixelated. Does it not look quite pixelated? Mm. like fractal um, patterns right it reminds me a bit of that King Power Mahanakone Tower in Bangkok Thailand which is one of my favourite yeah. skyscrapers it was on the B1M oh, tube poster cheeky yeah, yeah. shout out to the B1M <laughs> did you know did you know we ran a tube ad campaign in London yeah just just a throw <laughs> yeah I think it's gorgeous mate I do think it's gorgeous um, 
I th- it's not as tall as the other towers being built on Billionaire's Row, though, is it? It's quite a bit shorter, right? It is. And some of the architecture yeah. press have referred to it as a skyscraper, which is technically wrong and makes me angry because they mm. shouldn't have got that wrong. They did. It's, yeah. It's, uh, it's less <laughs> than 150 metres. So it's not. Yeah. <laughs> so what would that make it? A mid rise? Well, tower. so you can say high rise tower. Obviously, it is contextual. So. If you put this in your hometown, it'd be the tallest building. It'd be like, oh yeah, our local skyscraper. But in New York, it's a pretty small building. Yeah, um, yeah. it has to clear 150 meters to be a skyscraper. Also, has to has to be self-supporting and have more than 50 percent of its height made of habitable floors. So things like the CN Tower, Dubai Creek Tower, if they build it, those kind of things. That's not a skyscraper. That's a structure. Um, so to be a skyscraper, yeah, have to clear 150 meters. Then if you go above 300 meters, that's super tall. And if you go above 600 meters, that's mega tall. There's only, I think, four mega tools in the world. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And there's a new one, isn't there? Um, in Malaysia, right? Yes. Beautiful. Which is Medeca PMB 118. Yeah. Pretty spicy, that bad boy, isn't it? It's pretty spicy. <laughs> no, do you know what, mate? I, I actually think this is kind of cool. It looks very it looks very New York with its kind of like boxy mm. windows. And I I even think it looks I, I think they've purposely put uh three is it four three two Park Avenue in the background with also yeah. the huge boxy windows, just reminding you that yeah, this is very much a New York vernacular. But you know, ultimately this is more apartments for super, 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 super wealthy people. But then again, it's that part of New York, isn't it? It's yep. that part of New York. And that's where the super, super, super wealthy people are going to buy apartments. No, I said buy apartments, not necessarily live in them. But they're going <laughs> to buy them. Yeah. It is location, um, location, location. And on that point, uh, Billionaire's Row is kind of accepted as 57th Street in New York, so kind of East 57th Street is is Billionaire's Row. This building's actually built on 56th Street, but they've done this very clever little cut through. So the lobby kind of cuts through and weaves in between the buildings, and you basically go down what is I'm describing it as an alleyway. It's not that they've made this beautiful marble entrance, but it's a very thin, narrow marble entrance that comes off 57th Street, aka. Billionaire's Row address, send your mail, send your Amazon Prime man there. Um, <laughs> but the actual building is on 56th Street. Still a nice part of New York, by the way. But uh, yeah, the lengths they go to to get that Billionaire's address, Billionaire's Row address is pretty uh, pretty incredible. 432 does the same thing, I should say. It looks, oh. it looks gorgeous. That little entryway, mm. it looks absolutely gorgeous. I like that. I really like that um yeah 10 out of 10 to be honest but you know what what is it with these kind of like um buildings that have setbacks and they're like right let's just shove a tree on there (laughs) they love it don't they yeah they absolutely love it i was thinking the same thing the other day well yeah just property developers just love sticking trees on buildings lately (laughs) you know it's a fad isn't it it's a fad I think yeah. it's like, what is it? It's kind of like, I don't know, is it a little bit like greenwashing? Like, hey, we've just built this huge mm-hmm. structure, concrete structure. We're going to stick some trees on it so you feel we don't feel as bad or, you know, just change people's perception of the building, right? I think it looks True. cool, though. I'm all about trees on buildings. <laughs> I think it looks great, but I also think I'm like, you know. Oh, yeah. We can see why you're doing it. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. Greenwashing. I didn't want to be the guy who brings that up because I've brought that up the last few times, I think, especially in our <laughs> test episodes. I'm like, is this greenwashing? Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, we're not. Yeah. Those trees yeah. aren't going to be there. <laughs> uh, there would just be little twigs or something. Like, yeah, well, there we go. Yeah, there's always trees in the render. I mean, the spiral over at Hudson yeah. Yards. Oh, <laughs> that, I mean, the difference between the renders and the building. I mean, in fairness, it it recently opened. They maybe haven't finished growing the trees yet. If I'm cutting them some slack, but um, one of our content producers went and stayed in New York for a bit recently, and she uh, sent some pictures that she'd taken of the spiral, and our slack just erupted in comedy. Like, are you kidding me? It's a shrub. Yeah. It makes it look sad, mate. That building looks sad with those like little skinny little <laughs> withered trees on it. Mm. I'd almost suggest just buying, you know, getting the trees, the ones that are mature you know what i mean putting them on it so it, so it looks good from the outset mm-hmm. no, i don't know mate let us know what you think about putting a mature tree at the top of a skyscraper um, <laughs> if branches fall off they'll be doing quite a lot of speed when they get down to the street level so uh yeah I th- this that's a topic we've got to do more on why the what the heck are you doing guys with your trees on buildings <laughs> Mm. They love it, don't they? They love it all because those stupid towers in Milan started a trend, didn't they? So <laughs> oh, look good though. Look really they, they good. They do. I'm just yeah. jealous. I'm just salty. No. Like no. I'm jealous of them. Really. Yeah. I think Milan's got some beautiful towers. Mm. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. It's like mm. One of the best architectural cities in the world. Mm. Oh, discuss. <laughs> oh. <laughs> For a different video, for a different podcast, for a different mm. podcast. These are all the kind of amazing projects one might like to enter for Construction Story of the Year, which closes in two weeks' time. <laughs> yeah, look at that. You've done it again. Saw a ball, kicked it, back of the net, the crowd are going wild. Oh. Yes. Um, we mocked Construction Story of the Year last week when I listened to it back, but uh, just to say, I'm passionate about this. It uh, is using the weight of the B1M and the reach of the B1M to shine a light on some of the industry's most fantastic stories. It's free to enter. Get your entries coming in. We're hosting it this year with Nem and Shek, who are our main sponsors for it. Go to thebm.com uh, and submit your entries. I'm not going to ask Liam to follow up on that this week because uh, I think he, he said everything he wanted to say last week. Let's try, do you want to add anything? No, go on. Go on, Liam. Do you want to add anything? No, honestly, I, it, is a great, it is a great competition. Um, we've, we've got some pretty good entries already. Um, mm. I'm looking forward. Typically, we see a lot of entries coming in in the last two weeks, so we're expecting it to ramp up. Um, the entries that are in there at the moment as well. It's, there's a couple. I don't know. There's a couple that are that are hard to choose from. Um, I don't know how you're feeling about it, Fred. I'm sort of mate. Like three I'm on the. I'm, I know. I'm on the judging panel, mate. And this last year was such a joke because I love them all. I'm like, let's give them all an yeah. award because it's already trophies for everyone. I'm going for it. I'm, I'm, I'm voting. I'm going for this. And then another judge will be like, well, because of X, Y, Z, I'm going to go for this. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a really good idea. I'm going to go for that. I'm, I'm so, I'm yeah. so swayable in judging me because it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys see the entry from, I forgot their name, but they have like this temporary like um tent structure like circular one and they can also put like um permanent shops in there if they want like pets at home um <laughs> farm foods <laughs> oh that dear. Kind of, pets at home but it looks a bit like a carnival <laughs> 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 chili con carne that was so funny. <laughs> 
It's got a carny feel. That's a good one. That's the one I'm voting for. Get your entries coming in, guys. Uh, two weeks to go. Entries close on the 26th of August. It's free. Don't do what I do and leave your homework to the last minute. Start on it now. Get it done. Get it submitted. Uh, we want to hear from you. Now, we're going over to possibly my favorite segment. Funny comment of the week with Mr. Liam Marsh. What you got for us, Sunshine? I've got some crackers, mate. Um, so, <laughs> I haven't gone from last week's video. I've gone from a, a photo that you've uploaded to the B1M's YouTube community tab, Fred. You've got a tight, very tight, almost too tight t-shirt on um, with very tight <laughs> jeans on. <laughs> I, I've chosen this because I absolutely love the thirsty comments. They, they crack me up whenever Fred posts a photo like this on social media. The comment section is awesome. So one of them is from Winnie Ed. Dove said, you've got to stream how you lift iron or bricks to pump those muscles. Just saying. And then, <laughs> as a, as straight after that, this is this is just, there's hundreds of comments like this. There's hundreds, literally. And there's another one from Gabriel Farrafeldane. Uh, Here goes Fred again with his arms of steel. And then someone's commented on that saying, hi, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow that's, hundreds there's hundreds of comments like this oh if you have oh, five okay. minutes if you listen to your podcast you're at work just just jump on the b1m's community tab click on the latest photo click on the comments and just do yourself a favor it's hilarious there's also lots of them saying uh what how great it is that you're making new content on skyscrapers and what you've done I think, construction I th- is amazing one of the yeah. other comments was, I, th- I think your caption said, no better place to be on earth. And someone said, I, I think the beach would be better. Because <laughs> it was 38 <laughs> degrees. I was like, not going to lie. I'd probably prefer to be on a beach, mate. <laughs> uh, now, guys, we've had uh, lots of emails coming in since we stuck this up on social media last week. As I said, the uh, the stats somewhat exploded. Listenership's gone through the roof. Um not much we can read out to be honest try and try and keep it a bit cleaner and a bit nicer i've had some nice reviews coming up which is good we genuinely guys want to hear what you think we know that you are listening to this you can't kind of take part in the conversation so this is your opportunity to do that what do you think of hs2 what do you think of my guns um do you believe anything liam says <laughs> guys okay. we want to hear from you podcast at the b1m.com write to us let us know what you think thanks for listening let us know what you think of hs2 big video i spent a long time working on uh and we'll see you next week 